0: Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play
1: Store. Back in the Detroit Is Different studios. It is June. It kind of doesn't feel like June because it's gotten a lot more cool but that's just kind of how Detroit is. And we talk about how Detroit is, Detroit is filled with a lot of people that add culture, experience, and God knows the the stories that I've heard from this gentleman here and today we have the beauty of him coming along with his whole family as I think that the family experience is the experience that makes Detroit so different because so many cultures intersect, so many families intersect. Blair How are you today, sir? I'm fine. And yourself? Oh, everything is well. Everything is well. You're you're here in thick with uh, grandchildren, children, and the mother of children. So grandma's in effect as well. And I generally start all these Detroiters different interviews with what led you and your family
2: to the city of Detroit? Well, for me, uh i was uh released from prison after getting caught with a bunch of guns and forced to move to detroit Mm -hmm. and uh in downtown detroit uh i spotted uh my wife
1: okay all right so when you say forced to move to detroit Mm -hmm. why detroit
2: over any other city well what had happened was that uh there was a decision by the feds and others, not to allow me to return to Chicago because of my affiliations with the street nations and the Panthers there, and the closest place where I had relatives was here in Detroit. I had a sister and a brother here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, around what time was this? This was in what 1980, 70? Mm-hmm.
3: It has to be 82.
2: 60,
3: 60. No. 83. No. 83.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: live was. He, I looked at his record when he came. When did you When did you end up here? It was like seventy one.
2: Because how long were you incarcerated before you got released? Right. So when? it was in the early eighties. Okay, yeah. early eighties.
1: Eighty three. We met
5: eighty three.
2: April. Okay. What was the
1: culture of Detroit when you first came here in eighty three? What do you remember most about Detroit?
2: That it was. A unique place it had one of the most beautiful women I've ever met in my life and uh, that people were property owners so many people owned properties Mm -hmm. that was important to me
1: okay which leads to your wife Caprice Mm -hmm. your family and your history here in the city of Detroit Uh, what led you to the city of Detroit
5: Well, my family has roots here. Uh, My father, my mother, my grands. uh, We've been here a while. This is my city. Okay. You know, this is my city. This is where I come from. And these are my roots. These are my stomping grounds. So I've always been here.
1: Okay. What generation was the first family that came here? Was it your grandparents, your Um, uh, great-grands, great-great-grandparents? Great-grands. Okay, and uh, what part of the South or the North or uh, another nation were they from?
5: My uh, grandmother was from Itabina, Mississippi and when she said it, it sounded like a foreign land. Mm-hmm. You know, the way it rolled off her tongue. My uh, grandfather um, was from Jessup, Jessup Georgia. Mm. And um. he had a story sort of like too long from um, Richard Pryor. He said he left and he drove here on one tank of gas and it ran out in Ecorse, so that's where he landed.
1: Okay, now it's it's unique that a lot of the families that have made their way in Detroit like have roots to primarily like those states like Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia um, and then also kind of settle in different parts of the city. Uh, What part of the city did your family move to uh, here in the city of Detroit Southwest okay Southwest mm-hmm. what would, what do you remember about the culture there growing up um, the culture was very
5: diverse when I was growing up it was uh, mixed um, I went to a Catholic school that was predominantly uh, white on the other side of the tracks and um, we got ran home but it was okay, okay. You know, and when we moved from um, southwest, we went east.
1: Okay, now when you say ran home, meaning that the the other students just due to misunderstandings were black people, your intelligence, was it like they were...
5: All of those were a threat, Um, Mm -hmm. but we were on, I did say we were on the wrong side of the tracks. We were.
1: Mm
5: -hmm. We were on the wrong side. Okay. And um, shortly thereafter, they closed that school because they had been forced to integrate.
1: Okay. Now meeting Blair and mm. his and his journey into Detroit, did he stand out as somebody that definitely wasn't from Detroit when you met him?
5: Um the colloquialism that he used to uh communicate with me was different.
1: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So he used the Chicago slang. What no, what? tell him.
5: No, he tell did not exactly what he said. No, he did not use Chicago slang. He used um, something from our era. He no. called me sister.
4: Tell him the exact pickup line. Wow. Tell him the exact pickup line. We've been hearing this all our life. It's so okay. pretty. Okay.
5: It's so cool. I had um, just left the state of Michigan. I had accepted a position, and I knew I was cute because I had just dressed for an interview. And he said to me, Sister, if you turn the corner of your dress down, you'll be perfect. That's what he said. And that's oh. what stopped me. He said, Sister. Ain't that
1: something? Mm-hmm. Sister, if you turn the corner
5: of your dress down, you'll be perfect. Mm-hmm. Turn the corner of your dress down. My, my dress, I had on a little flouncy dress, you know, and it was turned up at the corner, and I was cute.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so from there um, from there I'm guessing it was like this guy seems very interesting.
5: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. He didn't no. <laughs> 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 That's not the way that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so how how did you follow
2: up to to become interesting, in Blair? Mm. Well, I literally stalked her. <laughs> Mind you, I was three days out of prison, <laughs> I had on a Michael Jackson jacket, I had on some that. pants that were too tight, I had on some Spanish heel boots.
1: Was this, was this the style in the 80s? Or no, this sir. Just? no sir. No <laughs> sir. Hey, hey, time out, time out. Okay, according time Okay, Caprice thinks, okay, it, it wasn't the style, but did you feel like you were flying? Did you know this
2: is, you know? No. No sir. I,
3: If you know
5: anything about my father, he doesn't care what people think. He's just going to put on what he feels good in that day. And if he wanted to be Michael Jackson, that's who he was that day. No, sir. He had been misled. Misled, All of these things were um, tailored, custom made for him. And the tailor had to be, like, you know, feeling really good because
1: everything
2: was too short. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. So.
2: uh, then uh, I asked her what she was doing because I think she she was trying to get away from me. Or she <laughs> was just like, "Okay, you've been following me." And I said, "What you doing? Are you shopping?" And she said, "Yes." And I said, "Well, then you are in you 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 just you just ran across like the luckiest experience of your life." She's why well, I because I have great taste, and she looked at my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but you also said other magic
5: words uh-huh. like, um, "I'm buying."
1: Oh, okay.
5: I don't remember that part. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I do.
1: Okay. All right. So, so from there, I'm guessing um, the 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 connection initially meeting. How long did it take for you all to get to the point where you all were spending a lot of time together?
5: Um, I put him in the layaway, and. Um, I had to think about it for a while and then i called him back about three months later
1: mm. mm-hmm. did, did you remember yes cool. okay all right yes i, I, I had moving. not talked to
2: her but i had talked to her mother several times <laughs> yes he had <laughs> wow. he said he was yes he had her. yes wow. he had <laughs>
5: and my mother actually gave me messages yes wow
1: mm-hmm. what what were uh, the messages mm-hmm. that you were relaying blair
2: well uh The final message was that this would be my final call and that I, uh, Found it interesting that uh she was so rude that she would not return any of my calls. So no, I didn't died. get that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you
5: know, I didn't get that one. Mama yes. <laughs> didn't give me that one. I'm so yes. glad she didn't, I wouldn't have called.
1: Oh Yes. God. Wow. I don't but, know if all tomatoes work off me. Well no, what they don't. Well not
2: actually what happened is that uh the mother said she will return your car.
4: <laughs> okay. sounds,
5: Got that's you calling like me. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. That's what she said. She would return your call. So I was like, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Cause she didn't tell me all that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so grandmama, she was. Uh, you were smart enough to um, definitely not step in and uh, and give that ultimatum message relay. <laughs> well. So, so from there, where did you all go? What exactly. was
5: the first place you took her? To the Hard Rock Cafe. I don't know if he remembers, but that was our first date. We went to a uh, a heart, yeah a rock club. hmm hmm We had fun. You I remember like what rock. Was playing? Um, they would. D- it was a DJ, but um, it was um, it was rock. It
1: was, hmm.
2: you know. And yeah. have traffic
1: mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, so now by this time, you're most into the Detroit culture, um, especially if you know where Hamtramcky is at this point. So what was your take on what was happening in Detroit at the time?
2: At the time, uh, crack was descending on Detroit, and uh, neighborhoods were organizing uh, around this uh, terrible economic opportunity. hmm and uh, and I was trying to organize with brothers who I who I had been in the Michigan prison system with for ten years, and so uh, that it was a very dangerous time in Detroit.
1: Mm. Yeah. So in this era, as I remember it vividly, it's like this neighborhood is the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, It was, I remember the the time and the the temperature. And what's funny is also, my father took a position in D.C. around the time, so I even went to D.C. I have family in Chicago, uh, on the south side of Chicago, as funny as it be. My my great uncle was a principal at Dunbar Middle School. So like right in the thick of a lot of these things in different black communities, uh, from a child's view, I, I was witnessing what was happening um, during this era uh, and you being somebody from Chicago with a lot of organization, mm-hmm. uh, did you notice here in the city of Detroit uh, a, a different attitude about approaching this? Do you think that the, the the leadership of Coleman Young and some of the other people like Irma Henderson um, uh, made, made things different here Uh, or was this just a national epidemic when you think about what was happening with crack cocaine?
2: I think that in Detroit that there was a deliberate effort to criminalize the leadership of Detroit. Hmm. Uh, You take the jobs out, and the jobs were disappearing uh, back in the 80s. You know, it was just like factories were just literally closing down and moving to Mexico and moving overseas and young men were coming up, and the only opportunity that was available was drugs, and there was more drugs available than could have been provided by the black community. These drugs definitely came. YBI and others uh, have already confirmed that many of their suppliers were the police, so it was a deliberate, maybe uh, maybe national, international, but in Detroit, it was a deliberate criminalization and... Uh, uh, Flooding of our community With drugs
1: Hmm. Now I have this question For you Caprice Now during this time you all move forward And start a family And Against uh, something that's Existing in already a very Tumultuous Community that's faced with a lot of trauma And drama uh, What gave you the courage to step forward And embrace Building a family at a time that some people may say was some of the most You know The most uh, like I guess detrimental or strongest odds against a lot of the black families throughout communities
5: <clears throat> If you really want the truth, I don't know um, My clock was ticking and I um, it was time to do just that. That's what I came home to do, to have a family. I came home um, to have a family, to share uh, my family with my grandchildren, um, my, with my uh, grandparents, excuse me, and my grand aunts and uncles. And it was important to me that um, my children knew what I knew. So yeah, it was that time.
1: So the thought process of, like, the family unit, once again, overcomes the concept of maybe what are the social odds and what's in front of us for you.
5: Well, the social odds, um, if you think about that, then I don't guess black people would ever have a family. You know, um, that's nothing that ever comes to bear, the social Mm -hmm. odds, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Um, Detroit is very unique in um, its setting because we are uh, governed and geared by the plants. And when the plants um, are closing and when the plants are in trouble, our uh, tax base, our financial struggle in Detroit becomes real and it becomes dangerous. And if you're um, governed by that, you would
1: never have children. So that leads to who is the oldest
0: I'm the oldest
1: oh, Okay So okay. Alea, What do you remember most growing up At the time in the household With your mom and dad Oh
0: uh, Now what era in Detroit are we talking about We're talking
1: 80's Detroit 80's Detroit
0: My father got locked up before Najanava was um, born, born? Yeah. No. one time so,
5: no Mm-mm. well
0: look he was locked up very early so he um, so growing up in the household he was a prominent figure because mama um, situated him in our values. And so he was around like via letters, phone calls, things like that. But you know, so so we didn't grow up with daddy in our household proper.
1: Mm-hmm. But he
0: was a, a prominent figure. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I remember most? Mm-hmm. Ecourse? E was hard. It was um it was a hard place to be sort of like an innocent child. And so I guess what I remember most is like violence. You know, like E-Course was a place where if you, you were going to have to fight physically. And so um, you just needed to be a good fighter or have a big family to protect you.
1: Okay, now when you say, be a good fighter and have a family to protect you. Um, what were the what were the elements putting you in the fight? Was it uh was it other students, was it uh was it authorities, was it uh, systems itself, uh people part of systems? What so, were you fighting against?
0: So I think Detroit eighties, like mid eighties, like I was born in eighty two, so by the time I really got out there was like 80, 90, maybe. Um, so this is the era of like snatching chains and you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like an eat or be eating culture. Hmm. Like, you know, real talk by the time um, I really was navigating streets. Young people were getting robbed. Um, if they had like you know expensive shoes and things like that and um so i guess that answers the question sort of peripherally um what i remember about detroit what i remember about our home was i guess the warmth of it like mom baked bread we had like you know Stupid, dumb, vivid play sessions. I mean, like our Barbies okay,
1: have soap. Explain what that is, because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what that is exactly. Yeah.
3: So our Barbies That's had, be different when you go to each of us. Like yeah. what these.
1: Play I'm, I'm, sessions sure, were. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. The oldest so, has a different perspective. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, like our Barbies had soap opera type drama, right?
1: Like. <laughs> uh, Do you remember any of their names?
4: Red, Heather.
0: Oh, well, so those weren't Barbies. No, those but weren't Barbies. No,
4: those were the baby dolls. Nana
0: had yeah. the Barbies. Well, but I had, we had Barbies. They used to fight, though. Like, they used to, our Barbies had, like, Jerry Springer-type drama, drama
1: going on. Hilarious. And
0: um, we used to, like, play in Mom's clothes when she wasn't around. <coughs> we used did to you know, sneak out. Did outside. you notice
1: this, uh, Mom? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Did did the eldest uh, catch any (coughs) reprimands for this?
5: No, they had um, outfits that they were allowed to play with, and then sometimes if they went in, I was getting ready to say, if they got into the stuff that they were not supposed to play with, you know, yeah, it it was all out war. But most of the time, you know, they stayed... Mm-hmm. Okay. Or either they put it back.
3: That okay. sets us up for today, where she still has five different closets.
4: Man, <laughs> literally, okay. and it's an ongoing battle to claim a closet to just have clothing space. Yes. Yep.
1: So, <laughs> so being the oldest, also, as you talk about the fight, and, and you know, many psychologists always say, being the oldest child, you you see life differently. Uh, you have. Uh, a different form of instincts, as you talk about being a fighter and protecting. Um, do, do you do you feel that um, some of the the attitude of being prepared and, and seeing the fight goes into uh, the element of being the oldest and, and always being prepared to protect your younger sisters?
0: Yeah, um, I think there is sort of an instinct to groom other people Um mm-hmm. and sort of like organizing instincts right like who was the best messenger to rally mom in favor of our collective will okay things like that
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we have a totally
4: different memory of these things other okay I'm gonna I'm kick it around we, me.
1: we, we, we <laughs> going around going around and that and that goes into the attitude Of the youngest right now Because you spoke up I'm,
3: I'm not the youngest, youngest.
4: I'm You're the middle the child You're yes. middle So yes.
1: middle then So be in the middle That's a whole different disposition from so Blair Yes What do you remember growing up As far as the culture of Detroit at the time And also in the household
4: The culture of Detroit um, Being a child Like if you want to I remember when I was really, really, really little, standing in this really big house, right? And my uncle picking with me because I was a crybaby. And <laughs> he made a whole song. And um, I remember my uncle and my family. I remember, like...
1: Dad's side, mom's side,
4: uncle? Man, my dad's side. But my uncle was there, too. I, we, we'll get to that story. It's, it's a story about us being outside. We'll get to it and laugh about it and stuff like that. But... Mm-hmm. My uncle Ben was there. I remember we had a granny, and she wasn't biologically our family, but to this day we will fight you if somebody tries to claim how paternally she's ours. Mm-hmm.
1: And was when she in the neighborhood, or was it like it was, girl's she like was? She was in the
4: neighborhood, a, 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 but
1: a maternal figure of the community. She was, was it our family. In your that was that was my
4: granny. I got you. That was my granny. That was my dad's friend from however, whatever, and all of his her children and. The people, you know, the guys in the neighborhood that did the things in the neighborhood, they all looked up to her. And she was a triple OG, too. So, you know.
2: She was big mama.
4: She was. That was granny. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, Denby this.
4: neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And Coney Gardens. Yeah, but I remember going over there a lot. Then I remember when we moved out to E-Course and um, a lot changed. You know, it was a. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it was a a few years where we really couldn't go outside because it was a crack house next door. You know, and then I remember when the family moved in next door and it was a single mother with three daughters and we were lower income than they were, so they treated us bad. But I remember when we first moved over there, we sit on the porch and be like, Oh, this used to be a crack house, you know, like but then like seriously, that would be me because I'm outspoken. But they still treat us to this day, they still treat us slightly funny. Mm-hmm. To this day, they still treat us out of bias because of our situations, but at the end of the day, my big sister is about to be 36, and she's the only one who got married, and she's the only one who has kids. Just like in their situation, they're all we're all within the same age range, and they still treat us different. But my mom, she she was such a loving person, and she put my dad on a pedestal to make us honor him on this pedestal, and yeah... You know, he was on this pedestal. Like, even though he wasn't there, it was like, yeah, you know, my dad, my dad, my dad. You know, my dad, my dad. Oh, where's your dad? Well, you know, um, he's
0: in prison. Let's not talk about that. Right. But
4: he, he, look, he's a phone call away or a call away or an action away or somebody. Like, you know, somebody, he made sure people were there to love us, even though his whole family were 600 miles away and six hours away. You know, like, and that was one of the beauties of the the family, the family aspect that my mom and my dad instilled in us. Like, we have a very, very close family aspect just because even though we knew that he wasn't there, he was still there. You know, his presence was still there. His, his his like, his voice was still there in our house even though he wasn't there. You know, and that's a good thing to, a lot of people don't have that. You know, a lot of people are mad at their parents, their fathers for going to prison, this, this, that, and the other, we weren't mad because we knew why. We knew what happened and why. Now, you know, what happens after he comes home is a totally different subject. But why he was there, we weren't mad at him for that. A little hurt. You know, and this is one thing. The day he went to prison for the last time, I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm like, Daddy, where are you going? He was like, I'm about to go take care of some business. I'll be back. He was like, really? I'm like, really? He was like, yeah, I promise you I'll be back when you come home. And it took 21 years for that to happen. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And that stands out in your mind that how old Vividly, were you
4: I was, I was five.
1: You were five, but you remember.
4: I can't forget. Yeah, I vividly remember that. I remember he had on a leather coat. I remember it
1: all. Okay. And now that just leads me to ask Blair Sr. Do you remember that exchange? Yes, I do. He does. <laughs> so in remembering that exchange and it's standing out and the impact, what, what was going through your mind is uh, you've definitely been a person that's uh, spent time and I definitely don't think any of those institutions are correctional, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. served time incarceration. Um, what, um, what was in your mind at that point, uh, leaving that message with your daughter?
2: Well, the message was that I would be back and she was going to be waiting on the porch for me to go. And we were going to go out and visit some of our cousins And uh, when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to honor that was when I was arrested and I was standing in the bullpen and it dawned on me in a very real way that I might never get back to that porch. Mm. Uh, And at that point, I think that was a transformative place in my life because at that point, I'm standing there in the bullpen, just been arrested for a shooting and a robbery and uh, a habitual offender, I had been arrested, you know, uh, with a bunch of guns as a Black Panther, been charged with attempt murder on police, all types of stuff, I'm going to prison and I'm going to get a maximum sentence. And at that point, I remember just almost collapsing and thinking, oh God, what are my children and my woman going to do now? Hmm. And at that point, making a commitment to God that if he was indeed the God that our parents and our families had raised us to believe him to be that he would understand that they deserved better than what I would had left them to. So that began a transformation uh, for me because I began praying, I began uh, just seeking the only help that I could think of and what that bounced back to was that when I got into the prison system, uh, I was shown great favor in developing a parenting from prison program Hmm. to help myself and other prisoners uh, to learn how to become more effective at parenting, how to keep your presence in your children's lives and the importance of that.
1: Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Blair, Jr.,
4: Baby Blair if you gonna call me. Baby a Blair. Blair. Yes. Okay. Baby that's my technical Blair. family uh-huh.
1: okay. name. So ba- seriously. Baby
4: Blair.
1: With that, and that's heavy. That's real heavy. So like coping with this throughout life and just having the understanding amongst just the 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 the, the challenges we have just existing in America, being black in America. have what, ha- what have been the uh the principles that you've grown from To to still grow and build the current relationship you have with your father and your family. That's
4: not a. I don't know how to answer that. That, The current relationship has nothing to do with. The current relationship is really bad. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm.
0: I think um. I think after twenty seven years of so so you have to understand our father was the type of. Guy who came home with like puppies under his jacket. Huh. He, he would was come a and get tight, us in the
4: middle of the night and take he, us. He out brought a in puppy
0: home at like three a.m. Like mm-hmm. when we said we were waiting
4: for him, we was waiting for
0: him. And and with gifts, like yo, don't just come home, mm-hmm. bring a puppy or something. He would like buy ice cream for all the children on the block. There is a very like sordid idea of what right and wrong is that emerges from a child's mind when a figure like that is locked up and the whole the your whole understanding of sort of like the world and what is right and what is wrong um like it basically means that I am wrong and all of my people are wrong and all the things that I know as good according to this world is wrong and and um punishable hmm. You know, yeah. so like, um, you know, I think like abandonment issues like are very real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like untangling. Like I remember being on in the Dare program as a child in the '90s and feeling like a spy, right? Like I'm just on the other side long mm-hmm. enough to take back resources <laughs> to my people. Cause for real though, for <laughs> real. that was the idea, though. You know,
5: go see what they're doing.
1: So, so within all of this, Najanaba, the youngest in the mix, yeah, witnessing this, seeing this, and, and then still like the strength and even in this room, like the presence, like the beauty of the women here, uh, the strength of the women here. What do you remember most about growing up, Detroit, and your family?
3: Um, I, I just remember it being us, like feeling that it was us against the world. Um, I'm the youngest, so I was always like super sheltered and I didn't get to experience things long enough for them to impact me if they, if they could avoid it. So, uh, when I first moved to Detroit and I was in DPS and, um, I had teachers who, were like really negative influences on me my mom immediately made sure that she pulled me out of that situation um, just being the youngest and her I guess learning from things that happened with them it was like they weren't gonna let me experience that between my mom, my sisters, my dad, they we've always just tried to protect each other the best that we can because we knew that at the end of the day, the world was against us or not the world, but the powers that be or whatever was against us and we had to fight together. So they all fought for me and I've always fought for them. That's just how I remember my childhood.
4: Hmm. Yeah, that's accurate. That's really accurate.
1: So <clears throat> within it, um, seeing these models of such strong women in your own family, uh, how do you take that and you apply that with your friends, with the people you meet, to 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 know that the strength is existent? And uh, a lot of people talk the whole concept of uh, black girl magic in the like, I guess, the, the social media sphere. But the reality that I think just in this whole in the whole presence of all of you now, just You know, in meeting you and your sister, I was like, okay, your mom has to be amazing Mm. on so many levels because I know your dad, too, you know. So uh, how do you build from that? How do you grow from that? How do you keep moving with your aspirations?
3: So for me, it's about like when you're selecting people as friends, um, you always have to think about like, hey, what do they add to this and what can you add to them as well? So if I don't, if I see someone who like lacks aspirations that I can't build with and that I don't know how to help them with, I immediately like, or not even immediately, but I'll slowly pull myself away from that. I I can't stay stagnant and I, I can't be around people who want to stay stagnant. It's like if you're comfortable where you are, then I can't be comfortable there. Like we have to be in a, we are in a culture that's constantly changing, so we need to be able to change as well and build each other up. And I, I believe that that's how we get to higher levels. But if you're comfortable with, you know, working nine to five and and not fighting for minimum wage, being higher you know, like... If you're just comfortable in where you are, I I don't know that I'm comfortable with that as a friend, you know? Yeah.
1: And and with this caprice, the question comes to you now, Mm -hmm. as uh, I think the instrumental thing uh, so present in our community uh, with the prison industrial complex, has, as people say that it's existed since the crack era, but I would argue that being that policing kind of started from slave catching in America. Mm -hmm. The whole concept of prisons themselves Mm -hmm. Were designed and built For black men to be incarcerated And so many families uh, Have struggled Like even uh, Even in my own family uh, Have struggled with Black men being incarcerated But the family structure still needing to Remain solid And you being the mother that um, That Yielded and, and still built Through respect from that What's um? What's your take on the the young mothers now that are dealing with uh, a man facing sentencing or being incarcerated? What what would you share?
5: Um, that's a twofold question. Um, that's nothing that I would want to advise a sister to go uh, through. To go through. Mm-hmm. If that's uh, something that can be avoided, I would say avoid it at all costs. Um, it's a hell of a road and it's a hell of a choice to do that walk. Most people can't, you know. Um, But for me, it was important that my children know their father. And um, there's a logic to that. um, Basically, that I wasn't no dummy. You know, uh, when you choose to reproduce, you choose to reproduce with the best. So, um, of course, I wouldn't put down their father. Of course, I would lift him up. Of course, I would make him the person that he's supposed to be. He's their daddy. You know, you don't, you don't do that. And if I would have anything to tell to sisters nowadays, is that
4: yeah, stop bashing. The you know,
5: and I mean, you you make yourself look dumb. He's a wonderful person. See? See, just just great, just great. You know, but I'm I'm serious about that. You know, if anything that you can take is that. I mean, your children watch, your children see, and whoever you decided to uh, procreate with, he has to be a wonderful person because you chose it.
1: And this question to Blair Sr., as, like I say, even in my own family, my Uncle Wally was... uh, (laughs) One well, of the strong organizers with the Panthers there in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, then over to the Nation of Islam. So he's dealt with uh, he's dealt with the national government following him for for a long periods of time, right? Um, and now, as you see more organizations building and, and some of those same energies building in Black communities, uh, and many people being followed. Uh, from different movements, from Black Lives Matter to uh, to different organizations that are just community-based, uh, some of the work that I'm, I'm assuming even <laughs> your daughter does. Like w- in this nation building that is outside of a nation of our own in the danger it may put people uh, privy to, um, what advice do you give to the younger Uh, People about the impacts it could have and how to move to still be nation-building, but
2: uh, Be aware of uh, what's watching Mm -hmm. Um, First of all I often advise Our people uh, When I'm engaged in dialogue Or have an opportunity to present is to consider the math 100 and 53 years ago, there was the Emancipation Proclamation. Four million Africans in America were emancipated. That's four million out of 120 million that were removed from Africa over a 450-year period of time. (coughs) So we're talking about slavery was mandated illegal in the United States and all of its territories just 153 years ago. And when we talk about that man, four million of us emancipated, we are now at 50 million. Not only are we at 50 million, but we are to my daughters and to their generation, to millennials who are going to change the world, who are changing the world. But I say this to people is that the dominant narrative would have us believe that we're losing. When in fact, we got this, they can't stop God's children from doing his work. And his work is that we would serve the poor, is that we would provide for the weak, we would provide for widows and prisoners and for the maimed and the handicapped. And uh, so I advise people to get involved in the things that impact their lives and the lives of others that has been my salvation i mean i've come home and been ill-equipped to live a normal life and people have said well how do you just live a life of giving i do that through my faith
4: Hmm.
2: and god provides
1: Hmm.
2: but i wanted to drop that math
1: okay so the 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 commitment for you
2: mm-hmm.
1: is stronger than the the obstacles or, or whatever the challenge and and just seeing where things lie like it's it's so funny um when i think about my uncle wally to this day mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's been very tough in him engaging with the family uh over the years because all of the struggles he's dealt with um and sometimes I, I look at as intelligent as he is, as 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 strong as he is, but so much has that has been placed on him from you know the FBI, from the CIA, from mm-hmm. so many of the organizations, and then even some of the black organizers in Cincinnati, um, having the wherewithal to know that the mission is bigger than sometimes what's right in front of you. How have you been able to do that?
2: Well, as as I stated earlier, early in my sentence, I committed my life to parenting programs for prisoners. Mm -hmm. And I realized quickly that it was bigger than me, that in order for me to be able to learn how to be the best parent that I could possibly be from the prison environment, from the reality of my life, that I had to collect the testimonies of others. And so uh i kind of lost track of your question there
1: it's more so like how do you stay committed knowing that there's so many agencies that are, are meant to disrupt a lot of the nation mm-hmm. building that black people and the efforts that were put mm-hmm. in mm-hmm.
2: and i look at that simple program that we designed in prison and the impact that it had on those men and so one of the things that it taught me is that though it was unprecedented that that determination to do the right thing you could succeed. And how do I stay encouraged? It's because when I look at my daughters, I'm proud of all three of my daughters. I am proud of my wife. Uh, They have achieved amazing things under great odds. And when I look at my grandchildren, and they say they're going to conquer the world, uh, I realize that it's not just like work. It is our life that we do justice. First to Mother Earth and then to all and everything that occupies it. It is our life. And I just clearly understand that. When I had nothing sitting in prison, I understood that what I did have was God's love and that what he gave me and every person on Earth was Earth to care for and each other. So that's so I persevere just in my faith.
1: Alea, which I was already going to kick it to you because you do a lot of organizing work yourself.
4: Yeah,
0: um, I think that, you know, we can either die um, or fight, like mm-hmm. period. Yes. Like yeah. we got two choices, right? Like we have children, we are breathing this air, we live here, um, we can either die and lay down, we can let people run over us or we can fight. We only have those two options, right? And we're watching videos where police are shooting us down, we're living in spaces where um, children are being caught in the middle of you know, gunfire we we can either fight against these forces right, like this negativity the structural and the miseducation that allows us to attack each other like, or we, we don't have a choice in this matter like Hmm. this is us this is our blood this is our family this is our lives we're fighting for our very futures
1: hmm. interesting interesting that um and it's back to the fight so the fight and having the fight
0: and and this is what I also say about this to address the um the systems that you were talking about directly like when you look at the things that were deemed uh historically, Important problems in America Yo The breakfast program We gonna feed our children In the morning Mm -hmm. Number one enemy of the state Mm -hmm. Stop them They shouldn't have oatmeal Mm
3: -hmm. Like
0: I mean if this is what is deemed a problem If this is a real viable threat Then what you're saying Is having a functional life Is a threat to the state Fuck that shit
5: Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean What I found, and excuse me, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mm -hmm. but what I found um, astonishing, having um, lived during that time, having um, participated in the movement on various levels and in various organizations, is how dangerous um, the organizations were perceived at that time. You were mentioning being followed if you go through the um, dispute resolution um, programs, they talk about uh, the organizations of the Panthers, the RNA, the um, NOI, um, the Five Percenters, but basically they talk about the unity of the youth Mm -hmm. of that era and how volatile that unity was and I look at um, the situations that we're facing today with our current um, presidency and the uh, distress, the um, uh, anger, the fear that it has instilled and I see a definite parallel to that same time and I think uh, it's a dangerous time
1: interesting um, so I generally uh, I generally close on like classic Detroit is different questions but so far let me let me thank you all as a family so much for coming together and uh, giving me this opportunity uh, consider me a um, indebted to you all I believe this discussion is so fruitful and so needed as the authenticity of it, uh, Blair Sr. asks, like, so what's your, you know, like he generally will say, so what's your <laughs> intention, brother Kari? <Carl> <laughs> so, so I was like, I think it's to, it's to show that, that we're still growing and, and, and the beauty of the progress that exists in our families. Um, and this has been so substantive, for me even, uh, as... Is so much more that's happening in the role of my family. As uh, many people know, my mom passed last year. Mm. And with it's the passing rugged. of my mother, it's completely shifted the role I play in my family. Mm. Mm. Uh, as, you know, people always say, like, you know, uh, who are the matriarchs and the patriarchs of families? And then how do you assume these roles? And then how do you see things through? Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the key elements I've been sharing with most people is that the value systems that we have and the wealth of those value systems kind of can deteriorate over time because there's no amount of money I can place on uh, the care that I give to my grandmother, my aunties, mm-hmm. my uncles, um, how I'm going to be present in mind for even their inequities and what isn't so sincere um, that it's, it, I, you know, even if they had millions of dollars and they were paying for the top care and the best nursing facility. You know, It's different than to have that person like me that's going to sit there and and engage with them with love as opposed to with the expectation of getting paid. Mm-hmm. So when I think about family and I think of growing and progressing and building and one of the coolest things through this whole time because I was one of these kids sometimes sitting around being bored to death listening to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But it even means a whole lot that your kids can see this for them to eventually sit back and be like oh when I was six years old there was this one dude in this house in the hood and he was videotaping all of us
3: they've been mm-hmm. going to protests with us
4: yeah since. We, we're we're <laughs> like baby cubs yeah. I organized too I just came back from Kentucky since in Cincinnati doing with the uh, food chain workers alliance like we all organized and it came from these two people here that's
2: love you know Curry there's sort of uh, the elephant in the room is that both Caprice and I were members of the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that has influenced uh, and impacted our thinking, our family, and uh, if we have our way, it'll impact the history of Detroit in the very near future with the election of Najanava Harvey Quinn. To state representative of the seven, Woo-woo. yeah, right, right <laughs> here
1: in this district.
0: <laughs> Except this is a C three conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. That, that was. I a, that left was a, a little, little while ago, right? Blair senior <laughs> discussion, but I definitely feel that. So, <laughs> but I think the impact has already been made just by anyone meeting your daughters or or grandchildren. Like the impact is made. I think. It, ca- it carries on. I'm big into uh, thinking more into those value systems, which that leads me to the next point of interest. I would like everybody to just give a point that you all want people to be thinking on that you all are chewing on. And even if that point is listen to this song or read this book or it could be, you know, go visit this place um, and we can start with baby Blair. No, start with mama. Start with mama. Oh, start with mama? Of I was thinking start with baby bread, bro. Baby bread kicks it off
5: the moms. Okay, family. Family is where it starts. Family is your rock. Najanavu. You
3: know. <laughs> um, I don't want to go right now. Look, I was trying to be profound. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I
5: wasn't profound.
3: <laughs> oh, no, I was thinking mine. Oh, I was like trying <laughs> to.
1: Yeah. That in there.
3: Ah, yeah.
1: Probably. Yeah.
2: The scripture that I accepted as like my guiding, my, my rock in the word is be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to renew our minds. We have to learn to think differently. We have to learn to think boldly. We have to learn to renew ourselves from all of the trauma that we have experienced in the United States of America? Mm.
0: Um, I just think that, you know, so I do anti criminalization work, and I'm always turning around um, Detroit and the state of criminalization in Detroit in my mind. And um, I don't know if you all have heard of the case of Sawatu Salamara being in prison. She's a young activist. She gave birth in prison. She was basically imprisoned for um, protecting herself and her family. And, um, you know, we just celebrated Mother's Day. We're about to celebrate Father's Day. And uh, it just pains me to see, like, how our system is used to instill fear and to harm and to separate families. Like, we need a justice system that is uh, reflective of our families. And just, yeah, just flat out just. But, like, that also understands our community and works to support and not tear down people. Mm
5: -hmm. You're dealing with the grays. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: The one thing I want to leave is if this is a detroit is different conversation so we are detroiters we are detroit If we don't take care of our city, we will face more problems with other people trying to take our city and treating us unfairly. I've just left from a city where they told me these were low income neighborhoods and they just tore it down and now they're about to build high rises here and this, this, that, and the other. If we, as Detroiters, don't take care of our city, we will lose our city and then we will be complained and displaced and have to only live in the unfair systems that they put us in. So if we don't take care of our stuff, as our own, as a person, and understand the conversation when it comes to political conversations, we gonna lose our city and then we'll be the only ones hurting and it'll affect and effect our children later in the days, and that's what
3: we need to change.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. All right, so back to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess, for me, it's always keeping the Asada Shakur chant in my head. Um, It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It's our duty to love and protect one another. You know, like, just keeping all of that in my mind at all times. And I just, I pray that we together as a people can come together and just think about it. Like, it's our duty to win. It's our duty to fight.
0: We have nothing to lose but our our trains. Exactly. We must love and protect one another. Absolutely.
1: All right. All right. Since, uh, Since that, I do want to ask the parents with that. Books, because I'm a big book person. Mm-hmm. So, give a give a give a book that should be in the library of the people listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, for well,
5: I've done a lot of book reading. Um, one. I, I need you to read the life of Malcolm X. Malcolm X's history is his autobiography, is a book that um, all black um, children, people should read. Uh, I also like um, uh, I can't think of it. The uh, I like all of the works of Franz Fanon
1: too. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Two, two things. Definitely agreed to check out, add to the library. Young People, Autobiography of Malcolm X. Necessary read. Necessary read.
2: Blair Sr., what you got for him? Chancellor Williams, The Destruction of Black Civilization. It is a fundamental work that explains the thousands of years of... Uh, social, geological uh, development and impact, the things that impacted the destruction of black civilization that we also heard of. And I would also second uh, France Fanon, Wretched of the Earth. It explains the criminalization, it goes into the the criminalization of blackness and anti-blackness. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. This was a great interview, and um, let me know where I play a role and what's happening with the fam. Upcoming, definitely have the support of Carly Frazier and Detroit is Different.
0: Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at Detroitisdifferent.com today.